Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the magnificent Monday edition of The Yard. And, oh, it is so magnificent. It's so much fun to talk to you guys about, about beating Ole Miss, man. It does. It's great. You know, we are so emotionally invested in the rivalry. I know other people say, well, you know, Steve, it's just a game. It's not just a game. It's never just a game. And I know there's some Ole Miss people that uh, listen to the show because they're so totally obsessed with us and with me. And let me tell you, we take a lot of pride in beating you, even when we're having a difficult season. You know, it puts a little bit of a cherry on things, kind of a Band-Aid, and you say, you know what, hey, we may not be what we want to be, but we're better than those bums. And uh, listen, all due respect, Ole Miss, I thought they played hard. It was a very competitive series. You know, State probably should have taken all three games. Ole Miss could have taken two of the three games. You know, so and, and that's what you expect. We talk all the time about two teams that are similarly situated. And you generally favor the team that's playing at home. And the fact that we went in there and took two of three and probably should have taken all three, you know, kind of makes you lament that loss on Thursday even more. But also, too, you know, you get hey, – this Ole Miss team is probably not as bad as their record would indicate. And I, I would venture to say that's the same for Mississippi State. Uh, but this is an Ole Miss team that is, in many respects, devoid of pitching. You know, we've had some pitching issues, and I've shared with you guys on the show, their pitching situation is even worse than ours. And in the end, that's what proved to be the difference in the ballgame uh, on uh, Saturday. So we're going to break the, the two wins down, and we're going to talk about some other things. And um, – you know, picked up a commitment for the 2020-2022 class earlier in the weekend. We'll talk about that uh, later in the show. But uh, let's go ahead and get to it. I almost recorded the show last night. I mean, I, there were times on uh, Sunday afternoon. I was like, hey, I'm, 
Maybe I'll go ahead and record now. I, mean, I was so excited to talk about it. And then I said, well, I'll do it tonight. I watched some college baseball yesterday. I love college baseball. Even when we don't play, I enjoy watching college baseball. Enjoyed that Texas A&M and Arkansas game immensely. You know, I don't know. To be honest with you, it may have been better for us if Arkansas had won. But, uh, you know, the truth of the matter is, is it's a competitive league this year. And outside of Tennessee, you know, any team can lose to anybody else, which is why we've got to be on our P's and Q's this weekend as we get ready to head to Missouri. And, of course, we'll see Ole Miss on Tuesday. Uh, a lot of discussion about who's going to pitch. You can go vote over at jeanspage.com. Chris Lamonis has joked in postgame on Saturday and said, hey, maybe I'll just put a poll up on Gene's page. Those guys seem to know everything and uh, let them pick the starter. So you can go do that. Not that Chris is going to go abide by what we, we go by. But uh, you can go vote. Go to jeanspage.com. It's a free article written by Mike Namath with a poll at the bottom. Go ahead and vote, and we'll give you the results uh, tomorrow afternoon. So just having some fun with that. I mean, right, what's life without a little whimsy, right? So, so there you go. Uh, let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company. I, I do. One of the things that I love, in addition to knowing that when I go, I'm going to get a quality meal at a quality price and get quality service. I, I know these things before I even get in the car to make the drive down there. But one thing I love is just the festive atmosphere down there. You know, it's like everybody's having a good time because, you know, they're experiencing the same thing you are, a great meal at a great price. And those portions are so substantial. A lot of people out there cutting back, charging you the same price, giving you less product. Not the case with Bulldog Burger Company. A lot of integrity involved in that operation up there. I'd love to eat there more often. Sometimes I get busy and I can't. There are times when I get on the road and I think, when I get back, when I get back to Starkville, i got to make a trip down to Bulldog Burger Company and have that mentality at bacon. So that's a big part of uh, things for me. And it takes so much guesswork out of what I'm going to have sometimes. So I want to get back, hey, this is what I'm going to do. Sometimes the biggest crisis in my life is what I'm going to have for lunch. Like, what are we going to have today? I don't know. I am not taste for anything. There's always something tasty on the menu at Bulldog Burger Company. Maybe you're not in the mood for a burger today. Maybe you want a, that great quality salad. I go with the BLT grilled. You may go with the fried. It's up to you. A lot of good options there, Bulldog Burger Company. Check out the menu today. And maybe you've put off going. Say, well, we'll go another time. Don't put it off. Go. You owe it to yourself. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Start Vegas. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and of course, uh, the brand new one, Lake Harbor Drive there in central Mississippi. Be sure and check it out. Next time you're down there around Flowood, you'll be glad you did. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. All right, let's break it down. Of course, uh, we get into the Friday game, and Ole Miss had taken game number one. And again, the hero of that game, Dylan DeLucia, man, guy did a great job. You tip your cap. And uh, I didn't, to be honest with you, I didn't think his stuff was that great. You know, he, he didn't do a great job, I think, in, you know, maybe carving us up. I thought he did a great job of getting us to hit his pitch. And, of course, we, uh, you know, we ended up beating the ball on the ground and hitting a lot of balls to the left side. And you hit the ball to Jacob Gonzalez, it's an out. The guy's outstanding. He's a future first-rounder. Will be arguably uh, one of the top four or five picks in the draft next year. There's always some high school pitcher out there that goes number one, it seems. But Jacob Gonzalez is a true dude, and uh, I have a lot of respect for him. And uh, he had a great weekend against Mississippi State uh, in the losing effort, but uh, certainly wasn't his fault. He did a great job. And uh, I, think it's, I think it's one thing that's different between the state Ole Miss football and baseball rivalries is that when you look on the baseball side, you know, we, we can admit, hey, that guy's good. He absolutely is. And uh, so, yeah, again, 
wish uh, that guy the best down the stretch. And, um, you know, I, I ran some numbers yesterday. We'll get back to that a little bit later in the show. But, uh, you know, Ole Miss, is, there's a possibility those guys don't make it to Hoover. You can say, but Steve, yeah, honestly. There's just so much parity in the league this year, you can't take anything for granted. And they had to, they had down to Arkansas this weekend, or across to Arkansas, and should be a very angry Arkansas team facing a pretty substandard pitching staff in the SEC. All right, let's get into game two. Mississippi State wins this game on Friday 10-7. to But let's break it down. Let's go back and relive the magic. Outstanding. Outstanding. Ball game. Went the way to went the way to the, uh, the the good guys for sure. All right, so we know Preston Johnson is going to start for us, and we're like, hey, you know what? We did a pretty good job keeping Elko and Gonzalez and those guys kind of at bay on Thursday. Well, that didn't happen for us <laughs> with Presto, and I want to give Preston Johnson a lot of credit. How many guys would have quit in this ball game? How many of you guys would have said, you know what? I don't have it today. Preston didn't do that. Ended up getting the shirt. You know what I'm talking about, the shirt that Chris Lamontis gives at the end of each game? Presto gets the shirt. So, top of one, State gets to work. R.J. Yeager grounds out the short. Cam James strikes out looking. Not a great weekend for Cam, but, uh, you know, that's kind of how Cam has been. He'll have a great weekend, then a not-so-great weekend, a great weekend. We could use a great weekend from him this weekend. Uh, with two down in the inning, Luke Hancock takes a full-count pitch over the right field wall to give State a one nothing lead. Kind of rocked him a little bit there, too. And then uh, they walk LT on five pitches. And I thought LT had a great weekend. And then Hunter Hines strikes out looking. And extended it bad here. Hunter Hines is learning how SEC pitchers are going to attack him. You know, he had that really rough stretch there. We didn't get a hit for, like, two weeks. Now, all of a sudden, he's starting to figure some things out. Baseball is a game of adjustments, not just in-game or in-weekend, but over the course of a season. So, Hunter is beginning to adjust. And even though he strikes out looking here, which was a borderline pitch, but too close to take on a full count. It was a quality of bat there. So State gets out of the top half of the first with a one nothing lead. That was a short-lived lead for Mississippi State. Lasted exactly one pitch. Then Justin Bench, no relation to Johnny, homers to left field, makes it 1-1. You think, okay, all right, they run into one. And then Gonzalez, the aforementioned future first-rounder, takes an 0-1 pitch over the center field wall, just right of the batter's eye out there, and you're like, dang. And then Tim Elko, who didn't do much at all this weekend, he hits a home run. So it's back-to-back-to-back, four pitches, three solo home runs. It's 3-1 to one Ole Miss, and there are a lot of people that uh, are now covered in beer out there, which is a miserable feeling. But I guess if uh, you're throwing it up for your team hitting home runs against uh, you know a team that has owned you throughout the years – Maybe it's not quite so miserable. Now, again, Presto has a chance to quit right here. He doesn't. He gets uh, Alderman to pop up to short. And I like Alderman. I, I like that kid's makeup. That guy's quick twitch for a bigger guy. Uh, you can see why he's hitting cleanup. Graham and singles to right field. I'm not a big uh, Graham fan. Other people are. And the guy had a couple of big knocks, to say the least. But, um, you know, Graham is a guy I don't think has a true position. I don't think he projects as well as some other people su- suggest that he does. Uh, McCanson reaches on a fielder's choice. We force Graham out at second. And then Hayden Dunhurst strikes out swinging. They get a quality at bat there. But uh, Presto, again, settles himself, gets out of the inning without any further damage. All right, top of second. Brad Cumbus singles to center field. Brad, now the new rebel killer. Kellum Clark flies out to right field, hit the ball pretty well there, just missed it. And then Jess Davis, who was back in the lineup against the lefty, kind of surprised me. But he flies out to right field, and I mean, absolutely 
Jess Davis, I, I think we saw the best version of Jess this weekend. I thought he played outstanding defensively. I thought he had some really quality at-bats. Cumbus takes second on a wild pitch, and Forsyth with an infield single uh, gets Cumbus to third. So we have a chance here now to at least inch within one, and then RJ grounds out the short. RJ didn't have a great weekend, did have some big moments. Got to get him going. Need him to have a good Tuesday. So State strands two in the top half of the second. It's a 3-1 ball game. Bottom of second, Chaudnier homers to left field. And I joked about this on Gene's page. You know, here's the thing. You know as well as I do. You know how this thing works. You know Ole Miss. If this guy's name is Peyton Smith or you know, Peyton Jackson or you know, Peyton Jones, he's probably not at Ole Miss. You know they love saying Chaudnier. Oh, Peyton Chaudnier. Oh, oh. That's why that kid got recruited. Now, I'll do respect. The guy's a good player. Not having a great year. But he uh, hits a tank here to put Ole Miss up 4-1. You think, man, it's home run derby. Here we go again. And then we walk Calvin Harris on four pitches. Again, a chance to quit. We don't. We get Bench to fly out to left. We walk Gonzalez on four pitches. We get Elko to strike out swinging, which was kind of the, uh, you know, the modus operandi for the weekend for him. Then Gonzalez advanced to second and, and Harris to third on a wild pitch. And then we get Alderman to strike out swinging. So, again, kind of swimming with the Sharks right here. You give up a solo shot, you walk a couple, and they end up stranded a couple. But, goodness gracious, I mean, you know, they could have really gained some separation here in the second inning. And it just didn't feel like Preston. Just didn't feel like Preston was on his game right here. Another chance to quit. Didn't do it. So, we get out of it. And now I'm thinking, okay, it's 4-1. We don't need to burn any quality arms at this point. We want to try to keep the game in place. And probably the best thing to do is let Presto hang in here for an inning or two and just kind of compete and save some arms for the rest of the weekend. Top of third, Kim James flies out the center. Hancock is hit by the pitch. Then LT singles through the left side. Now, all of a sudden, you got runners in first and second. Again, a great opportunity. And that opportunity is – kind of compounded by the fact they walk Hunter Hines. A quality at bat here, he gets down 0-2, works the count, and he walks, and all of a sudden the bases are loaded with less than two out. You're thinking, you know what, at the very least we'll get a sack fly here, we'll get close, a base hit ties the game. That's not what we get. We get back-to-back strikeouts looking. That can't happen. That can't happen. You know, it's one thing to strike out, but to strike out on back-to-back punchies, that just can't happen. That was a huge moment in the ball game, and you know, when the shoe's on the other foot, you're thinking, okay, we pitched our way out of it. You know, when we're doing it, I, I kind of think to myself, well, you know, we're kind of dancing with the devil here a little bit. Again, State gets traffic on the bases, doesn't get the big hit, and you start thinking, you know what, we're in danger of losing this series. Next thing you know, Preston Johnson comes back out. He gets Graham to strike out swinging, McCann singles to right, and for some reason, he decides to test Logan Tanner, and he is out easily, and Dunhurst flies out to left. So a pretty quick and efficient inning there for Presto. Top of four, we don't stand up on that inning. We go one, two, three. Davis strikes out swinging on three pitches. Forsyth strikes out looking. That's four straight Ks, guys. And you start thinking, we're down three, and this guy's starting to carve us up a little bit. Jaeger flies out to right field. So we head to the bottom of four. Chaudnier. Lays down a bunt, gets a single. Harris flies out the right. Bench and singles to center. Now you've got runners at first and second. Now Ole Miss is in a situation now where they've got a chance to, to really tack on the lead here. We walk Gonzalez to load the bases with less than two outs. Same situation. And we get two punch outs to get out of it. Elko strikes out looking on three pitches, and it was a terrible at bat. Alderman in strikes out swinging. So, again, 
other than the third inning, Preston Johnson really, really, really struggling here. And I give Ole Miss some credit. They had done their homework. They were ready to go. They weren't fooled. Preston Johnson gutted it out. All right, Riley Maddox comes in to pitch for Hunter Elliott or Tupelo. And, and, and listen, State did a good job running the count up on Elliott to get him out of the game. That guy's going to be a weekend guy for the next two years. You might as well get ready to that. Guy's really good. Uh, left-hander probably will pick up a couple of uh, miles per hour on the fastball here in the next year or two, which will make that breaking stuff even more difficult. But uh, I like the makeup of this kid. Watched him pitch against Tennessee. Uh, and, again, that game was over, but I thought he competed really well against the best lineup in college baseball. And so he leaves with a 4-1 lead. And you knew if we could ever get into that bullpen, we've got a real shot here. All right, Cam grounds out the second. Hancock then uh, pulls a single into right field. LT then singles to left field. And, again, here we are again. Runners at first and second, less than two outs, a chance to get something done. Hines strikes out swinging. And then LT gets picked off first base. And this is this is what I'm thinking here. And I love LT to death. I'm not being critical of LT, but this was a mistake. You're the trail runner. You're not a base stealer anyway. We're not running a double steal. We got no reason to get that big a secondary and, and kind of get beat getting back. So great job by Dunhurst there to make the throw. And they went back and looked at it. LT had a chance to get back in, but he steps on the, the, the cleat rather than the bag. I mean, he's going back, and he just, just happened to be a little bad luck there. But uh, we got to be a little closer to the bag in that situation. So that's a rally killer for us. And you start thinking, man, it's just not our night. Bottom of five, Preston Johnson still in the game. Gives up a single to Kevin Graham, and then McCant strikes out swinging. Dunhurst strikes out swinging. And then Chatney flies out of center field. So, again, a pretty efficient inning there for Presto. And I, they started calling him Beef. I don't, I don't know where that's from. I'll get the story for you guys. I don't know that I like it, but uh, if he likes it, we'll go with it. Top of six. This is when State kind of gets it going. Riley Maddox give up a couple hits in the fifth. We get the sixth. Then Brad Cumbus rips the double to left field. Come Clark then grounds out the shortstop, and Cumbus goes to third. And then Jess Davis takes one the other way, a ground rule double into the bullpen. Gets a run on the board, it's 4-2. And I love the juice that we saw from Jess Davis. He gets a second base. He's trying to get everybody. He's like, okay, this is it. Let's go. Let's go. This is it. Let's go. This is our chance. We can hit this guy. I mean, at this point, Riley Maddox has really struggled to miss many Mississippi State bats. Forsythe then flies out to right field. Jaeger comes through with a single to left center to chase home Jess Davis, making a 4-3 game. They walk Cam James, and a good at bat from Cam here. Uh, Jaeger goes to second. Riley Maddox is then pulled. They call the trainers out, and guys, you know it as well as I do. We have seen that too many times, and you hope it's not a UCL tear. And that's the thing, too. As much as we want to beat Ole Miss, you never want to see these guys get hurt. Never. At any point. And that's the thing, too, about college baseball injuries. It's like usually when you get hurt in college baseball, you're out for an extended period of time, especially pitchers. So we wish the best for Riley Maddox and his family and hope that it's not anything serious even though it didn't look great with him walking off the mound. Jack Doherty comes in, a guy that they have really tried to hype up. Uh, Hancock pops up to third. The inning ends, but now State is within one. So now all of a sudden you start thinking, you know what, we got off to this terrible start. You know, back-to-back-to-back Jacks on four pitches, and here we are, pitch away from tying this thing up. And you got to give a tip of the cap to Preston Johnson for keeping that game in place. Gave up four solo home runs, and he has – he has a propensity to give up the big, the long ball and give Ole Miss some credit too. 
I mean, they were prepared for what he had to show. But uh, even with that said, he goes out there and gives you five innings and really competes and gives your offense a chance to get back in the ballgame. Bottom of six, Pico Con, Con, Pico Con, rounds with John, uh, came in. And uh, they put in Ben Van Cleve. What has happened to Ben Van Cleve? I mean, it's like this kid never plays anymore. So Van Cleve gets a single to the right side. They pinch run for him. And then we walk John, uh, Justin Bench, no relation to Johnny. Now it's runners at first and second with, uh, with nobody out. And you're thinking, you know what? They're going to answer this inning. We finally clawed back into it, and here we are. Gonzalez grounds into the double play. Outstanding effort there. That is a 6-4-3 double play. Runner takes third. We walk Elko intentionally, which is absolutely the right decision. Lefty-righty matchup with a base open, two outs. You walk him. We do, and what happens? Alderman flies out the right field the first pitch. And so Pico, while we got into some trouble there, rolls up a ground ball. We get the double play, get the routine fly out to get out of the inning. So now it's 4-3, top of seven. Logan Tanner opens up with a single to left. So all of a sudden, the tying run is on base with nobody out. You're thinking, okay, here's our chance. Hunter Hines comes up and hits an absolute tank. The very first pitch that he hit, an absolute bomb to give State a 5-4 lead. And at this point, if you're Ole Miss, and thank God that I'm not, but they're thinking, holy smokes, we have chased their best starter in many respects. We had four solo home runs. We get up, a, we get a 3-1 lead in the first inning, and then here we are. Having now to depend on the bullpen. It's going to be a battle of the bullpens. And Hunter Hines, this kid that really struggled a couple weeks ago, has just hit an absolute monster shot. And listen, Ole Miss hit some wall scrapers this weekend. Hunter Hines never hits those. Everything he hits is like a ESP and quality highlight. That guy hits tanks. They follow back up, Cumba singles to the left side, and then Kellum Clark with a two-run bomb to right field. Good to see the big cat get going, right? Now it's a 7-4 ball game. At this point, I think all of you felt like me. We're fixing to win this ball game. And Jack Doherty, again, a guy they have tried to hype up, uh, a, a terrible outing. He retires one hitter, one hitter, faces five hitters, and uh, the last four that he faced, single, homer, single, homer. Your ERA is basically infinity, despite what the math says. All right, they bring in uh, Johnson, who a uh, really good guy, you know, but it's like I, I question the move here. And I listen, I get it. It's like, hey, it's, you know, it's we're only down three. But, you know, in many respects, you basically kind of burn him for the weekend. And, yes, I know that he came back and pitched. But um, and the guy's really good. The guy's really good. But they bring him out there. And, um, you know, we get to him a little bit, too. We had a chance to kind of tack some runs on to him. So the bases are clear. They bring in Johnson, and he gets uh, Jess Davis to fly out to center. Forsyth strikes out swinging. Then there's a walk to Jaeger. And Jaeger really grounded this about out. I mean, really grinds it out here. Very lengthy at bat. Cam James singles to the left side. Now we've got runners at first and second. A big two-out base hit here. Could have been the death blow. But a Hancock uh, out to first. You know, first, and then the pitcher covers. So 7-4, State with four runs in the inning. Bottom of seven, Pico Con, Pico Con. One of the better innings that he's had in a Mississippi State uniform. A one, two, three inning. And this is, look, guys, this is one of those things, too. He had every opportunity to kind of give in to these hitters. He did, and he strikes out all three of them. He gets Graham a strikeout swinging, and that's a lefty lefty matchup. 
He gets McCann to strike out looking. That's a lefty-lefty matchup. Hayden Dunhurst strikes out looking. And again, a lefty-lefty matchup. We talk about making the right moves here. You know, when you've got a team that loads a lineup with lefties because you started a righty and then you flip the script and bring in a lefty like Pico, this is what happens. When he's on his game, and I, listen, Pico is a tough kid. He's only going to get bigger, faster, and stronger. That kid's tough. That kid has some mental toughness about him. And when you, that's the thing I began to think about is like, hey, just give me in a regional somewhere this year and we'll see what happens. But when I begin to think about next year and I think about Hunter Hines and I think about, you know, Swade Alford, I think about Pico, I think about some of these guys like Kate Smith, I think, you know what, hey, a lot of people have said, well, you know, you know Chris Simonis won an AFL championship with a lot of other people's players, which they, they forget that Will Bednar was a Mississippi State commitment under Scott Foxhall and Chris Simonis. You know, a lot of people like to say these things as truisms that are untrue. Um, Pico is a Lamonis guy, 100%. And so you begin to look at these things and begin to say, you know what, hey, Chris Lamonis is beginning to replenish talent. All right, top of eight. And, and real quickly, too, is there anything sweeter in life as a college baseball fan and when you go up there and put a four spot up there, put a crooked number up, and then your pitcher goes out there and strikes out the side? It's like all of a sudden the momentum has shifted. We own the momentum here. We get back in the dugout and go right back to work and kind of let Ole Miss know, you know what, we're, the Sunday game is going to be the rubber game because we're winning this bad boy. LT is hit by the pitch. Hines and singles through the right side. Cumbus doubles to left. Sends on another run. It's 8-4. They pull Johnson. Bring in Nichols, the freshman. Uh, Clark lines out the short. Absolutely hit the baseball hard. Just, you know, right at somebody. That ball's five feet either direction. Much different situation. Uh, Davis grounds out to the pitcher, but we get the run on. And now it's 9-4. And then Forsyth. Lane swinging the big bat. Doubles all the way to the wall in left center. Hits one in the gap there. It rolls a 10-4 ball game now. Jaeger strikes out swinging. A lengthy at bat there, too. I mean, foul, 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 foul. And then he misses one. But we've put up three more runs in the inning. It's now 10-4 with just six outs to get. Uh, we bring in Casey Hunt. A lot of people question the decision. I, I, honestly, at, at that moment, I did two. But you begin to wonder, too, you know, maybe there's some other things at play here. Well, do we let Pico finish it? Do we want to say we got to win on Sunday, too? Maybe we say Pico for a situation to get some lefties. Bring in Casey Hunt. It wasn't the best of innings. Chaudnier flies out to right field. They pinch hit Tolly for Leatherwood. I don't quite under – or Leatherwood pinch hit for Tolly, excuse me. We get ahead 0-2 and we, and we plunk him. And that's like the worst thing that ever happens, right? If you get an 0-2 count and you hit somebody – uh, and then Leatherwood goes to second on a wild pitch. Bench singles to the right side. Now they've got runners at first and third. Gonzalez in singles and a run scores. Now it's a 10-5 ball game. We get Elko to strike out swinging. Alderman then doubles to left field. Now it's a 10-7 ball game. There's two more runs across the plate. Graham flies out. So Casey goes in and gives up three in the inning. Not good. Not good. Top of nine. Leatherwood stays in to play right field, and then Cam James pops up to third. Hancock singles through the right side. Luke had a pretty good weekend. Uh, and then LT strikes out swinging, one of the only times they could get him out. And then Hines flies out to left. And so it's like, okay, it's a 10-7 game. Let's find a way to get this thing over. And Casey goes out there and uh, I, I thought did a good job here. And, again, I, I don't know exactly where Casey is health-wise. He's obviously healthy enough to pitch, but is he back to where he wants to be? Don't know. But, again, still some traffic on the bases here. We walk McCants, which is 
Which is, you know, that's one of the things that you look at. This is a guy, too, that's a walking strikeout. I mean, you've got to go out there. You can't walk that guy. We get ahead one, two in the count. We ultimately walk him. Uh, Dunhurst flies out the center. And then Chaudnier, it's so fun to say, especially when it's associated with an out. Chaudnier strikes out swinging. That brings up two outs. Leatherwood then singles through the left side to bring the tie and run to the plate. And then Justin Bench uh, rolls out on a fielder's choice. Cam James grabs it, beats McCants to the bag at third. The game's over. 10-7 game, Mississippi State wins. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort, so no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand-new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y.com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. You got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. And that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight, camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient, it's safe, it's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y 
official.com forward slash video log. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. All right, let's take a quick look at game two. Now the series is even at one game apiece. And I, listen, I shared with you guys last week, not to say I told you so. I felt that Ole Miss's best chance to win was game one. I felt most confident about us winning game three. I felt whoever won on, on Friday, game two, would ultimately win the series. I said that on Friday's show. I think I said it on Wednesday's show as well. Just really felt like really confident going into this game. Thought we had a really good chance to kind of get things going here. Uh, and listen, not a great start in many respects there for, uh, you know, for Ole Miss. They hit Jaeger with the pitch. Cam James and grounds out to second base. Jaeger takes second. Hancock is out on you know, first base to pitcher, the old uh, 3-1 put out there. And then Tanner grounds out to short. So we're putting the ball in play here. They gift us a runner, and we can't move him around. We put the ball in play. We do get him a third and can't get him home. Uh, bottom of first, similar to what we've seen, Ole Miss with first inning home runs. Justin Bench flies out at center field, and Gonzalez then homers to right center. Puts Ole Miss up 1-0. Elko strikes out looking. Again, kind of par for the weekend course. Graham pops up to short. And it's right of it. one nothing. Top of second. Hines flies out. Derek Diamond's on the mound, too. I mean, and uh, this guy has not – he's been in the sixth inning one time this year, so we knew at some point we'd get to the bullpen. We were able to get to him before he got out of the game, though. Not in the second, though. Hines flies out the center. Cumbus does single to left field. Big weekend for Brad. Kellum Clark then strikes out swinging. Davis singles through the right side. Now we get runners at first and second with two outs. And Lane K swinging. Lengthy at bat there. Just didn't end well. Bottom of second, Alderman doubles to right field. So you get the leadoff double there right out of the gate. And you think, man, we've got to find a way to, to strand the runner. I mean, what, what are the numbers on that? You know, it's ridiculous how many times a leadoff double scores. McCanston strikes out swinging. Leatherwood flies out to center field. So you're a pitch away from getting out of it, even though Alderman uh, tags and takes third. And then Chatney grounds out to third to end the inning. Top of third, State gets going here. We have it. We tie the game here. We have a chance to have a much bigger inning. Uh, Jaeger singles through the left side. Cam James hits a hot shot to bench at third, and he can't find it. Everybody is safe. Hancock flies out to center, and Jaeger tags and takes third. LT then singles through the left side. Again, a big weekend for LT. The run scores, and James takes second. Hines then singles off the pitcher. Um, and it was, you know, it looked like a best case scenario. They got to come out and look. It looked like it got him on the bottom of a spike. And uh, of course, Derek Diamond stays in the game. I mean, you know, he's a ball player. Credit to him. Uh, but now all of a sudden, the bases are loaded. Again, with less than two outs, you're thinking, hey, we've already tied the game up. Let's just get anything here. We've got the lead. Cumbus pops up to short, and then Clark grounds out the first. It's incredible how these guys go. It's like, it's like either they both get ahead or they both get out an opportunity for us there to get some separation. We don't. Uh, Kate Smith did a great job here, bottom of third. He gets a, Dunhurst to fly out to left. Bench strikes out. Again, that's no relation to Johnny Bench. Uh, strikes out swinging. Gonzalez is walked, and then Elko strikes out swinging. A lot of Ks for Tim Elko on the weekend. Uh, top of four, Jess grinds out the second base. Then Lane walks on a four-pitch at bat. Jaeger flies out to center, and James grounds out to third. So we get a runner on, can't move him around. Really great inning here for Cade. Gets Graham a strikeout looking. Alderman grounds out the short. McCants strikes out swinging. One, two, three. 
top of five state begins to kind of get some separation here. Pitch counts getting up for Diamond. Hancock doubles to left center. Again, there's the leadoff double. Got to find a way to get him home. LT singles to the left side. Hancock goes to third. So, you runners at first and third with nobody out. You're thinking, okay, even a double play gets a run here, which would get us the lead. And Hunter Hines is like, no, fam, I got you. Three-run bomb to right center. Probably one of the ones that uh, that we hit against those guys that didn't, you know, break everybody's necks. They were leaving the yard. But it's now a 4-1 ball game. You knew if Hines got on, that would be it for Diamond. And everybody says, well, it's a hitter too late. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. But it's a 4-1 ball game now. Hunter Hines officially killing Ole Miss, one of the greatest baseball players in the history of the game, right? Let's get, let's get that going. All right, so they make a change. They bring in Mowitz. That's a guy that we got to last year. You know, they, they brought him in and uh, ultimately proved to be the wrong decision last year in the series against us. But, listen, great job from him. He gets his one, two, three. Cumbus swinging, Clark looking, Davis swinging. So, yeah, we've gotten the lead here, but, um, you know, they changed pitchers and we took some very non-competitive swings there. But it is now 4-1. Uh, headed to the bottom of five. And Leatherwood cranks a shot to center field. Gets Ole Miss within two. It's now a 4-2 ball game. And then Chatney flies out to right field. Dunhurst grounds out to second. Bench pops up to second base. And, again, that's no relation to Johnny Bench, despite some reports to the contrary. Uh, top of six, state answers. This is what good teams do. They answer. Four side singles right back up the box. And Jaeger. Gets in his legs and goes down and just yanks one over the left field wall. Makes it a 6-2 ball game. But we weren't done. Cam strikes out swinging. A lengthy at bat here. Lengthy at bat. He's seeing the ball well. We just we, we K swinging here. Hancock walks. Then LT walks. They pull Mowitz to bring in Kimbrell. It's a 6-2 game. It's like as great as the last half inning was for Mowitz. He kind of returned to form in this one. And then Kimbrell gets Hines to K looking. And Cumbus to strike out swinging. Lengthy at bad for Brad there, but again, we kind of come up empty there. We do get a little more separation, and we answer their two runs, push it right back out, and now it's a four-run lead for Mississippi State. Bottom of six, Gonzalez flies out to left. Elko walks. Graham and singles through the right side. Now, all of a sudden, they've got some things cooking. Alderman walks. Bases are loaded. Now, I'm going to go ahead and be honest with you here. I did not agree with not giving – Cam Teller a full sheet here. What I mean by that is, is like the bases are already loaded here. Excuse me. Uh, they're runners at first and second. So we've had, we've all, we've had, no, yeah, bases loaded here. Yeah. So we've had you know, three consecutive guys reach base. I think you got to go pull him now, especially with McCants up. And I know he's a walking strikeout, but especially lefty, lefty. So we bring Teller in with a 2-0 count. And then he evens the count at 2-2, and it's back-to-back balls. And I thought we got squeezed a little bit, but to be fair with you, I think that ball was off the plate a little bit. But I go back to this. I think you give Cam the hole at bat, maybe it's a different deal. And, again, everybody makes a little bit of mistakes. I think it was pretty evident that Cade Smith was done at this point. We pulled him a hitter too late. Now we've walked in a run. We bring in Jackson Fristo, who I thought came in and did a good job for us. He gets a fly out to right field. That thing nearly left the yard. I mean, that thing was nearly a tank. Ends up being a sack fly and, and arguably the difference in the ballgame. And then with two men on and two men out, Chatagnier strikes out swinging. Lengthy at bat. Fristo wins the A-B. 
just really hammers a fastball up and into him. I mean, Chatney couldn't hit that with a shovel. I mean, he had no chance. All right, top of seven. It's a 6-4 ball game when you're thinking, okay, is six runs going to be enough to win this ball game? The answer to that question is no. Uh, Clark strikes out swinging. Davis is then hit by the pitch. They elect to bring in Doherty for Kimbrell. And immediately, Jess Davis still second. Forsyth, K's looking, lengthy at bat, but again, nothing to show for it. And Jaeger flies out to center field. He pulls that ball a little bit. It's a different game. It's a different uh, score for sure. All right, bottom of seven. Fristo back out there. Nice inning for him for the most part. We're going to strike out swinging. Uh, Justin Bench, again, no relation to Johnny, uh, flies out to center field. Gonzalez is walked, and then Elko flies out to right field. Pretty routine play there. And again, State's game plan against Elko was outstanding, just like it was against Deshera last weekend. We talk about coaching, game planning, preparing. I mean, how many of you guys were scared to see our guys pitch to Elko? I mean, honestly, Tim Elko is a stud now. I mean, the guy doesn't move exceptionally well at first base, you know, but this is a guy very quick to the ball, stays balanced. He can hurt you. And we he was essentially a non-factor on the weekend. A couple of hits, but only one of real consequence in a game they lost. All right, top of eight. Cam James fouls out to the catcher. Pretty good at bat going here, and we end up just kind of popping up. Hancock is in hit by the pitch again. LT walks. Now they bring it, and they pull Doherty again. Again, a guy they tried to hype up. I mean, it's just whatever. Uh, Hines flies out to left, and Encumbus walks. we got the bases loaded and a chance, again, for the big hit here to get some separation late, add some insurance, and uh, Kellum flies out to center field. Yep. Um, 6-4 ball game, headed to the bottom of eight, and then Fristo gives up a leadoff double. And at this point, I'm starting to get really nervous. Alderman grounds out. This is that crazy at bat where – Jackson missed, and it went behind the guy's head and hit the bat. And it lands in fair territory, so we throw him out at first. They review this, and he tried to say it hit him in the head. Yet hit him in the head after it hit the bat. And so they could have ruled a couple different things there, right? Um, if he had been standing in fair territory, he would have been out, and then the runner would have had to hold it second. But because he's in the box, that's not fair territory, they basically play it as a ground ball. So the right call was made, but uh, rather interesting dynamics there because if that's an HBP, it probably changed the complexity of the inning. So we, they got these, all these lefties coming up again. So you, when we talked about, you know, when we pulled Fristo in game two, and then here that situation kind of manifests itself again. Now all of a sudden we're in a jam, the tying run coming to the plate, and we're about to see all these lefties. And so we bring in Pico. They decide to pinch hit Burford for McCants. Burford is an E machine for them. He didn't play a whole lot against us. He strikes out swinging. And then Harris is not hit by the pitch, but they give him an HBP. That's a thing that absolutely boggles the mind. We replayed this. That ball missed him by four or five inches. And they give him the bag. What is, what is happening in Birmingham? I mean, unless there's an angle that's better than the home plate angle, I'd love to see it. So they gift Ole Miss a base runner here, and if that guy had come around and scored, uh, it would have been incredibly, incredibly unjust. But our buddy Shotgay bells us out with a strikeout looking. So good job for Pico. Pico comes in, gets a K, and then they, they charge the HBP, which is a complete joke. 
a, a joke. But we get out of it. So, again, Pico doing a great job for us. Top nine, we go one, two, three. And I was thinking, man, it would be so great if we could just get something here. Give us a little room to move. But instead, it's a one, two, three inning. All of them strikeouts. Davis swinging, Forsyth looking, Jaeger swinging. There's a half inning. Bottom of nine, and we're thinking, okay, let's get out of here. Let's go get some things done. Dunhurst flies out to left. Then Justin Bench. Do I, dare I say it? No relation to Johnny. Singles through the left side to bring the tying run to the plate. Gonzalez comes up and actually gets down in the count 0-2. He won't chase the purpose pitch, and then we come back. And so a lot of people have questioned this. LT is set up outside. Pico misses his spot, and Gonzalez basically goes down and gets it and golfs that thing over the right field wall. That's going to happen. When you miss a spot that bad against a player that good in a situation like that, he's going to come through. The baseball gods are not going to reward you in that situation. you got to hit a spot, and the kid will. But it's a 6-6 ball game now. And at this point, we're all thinking, we're going to lose. I was at Hobie's on Main, and I can tell you that was a consensus opinion. We bring in KC, and KC gets a strikeout swinging, get Graham the ground out to second base, so we're out of the inning, but now we're going to play some free baseball. Top of 10, we go quietly in the top of 10. Cam James to third, uh, Hancock strikes out looking, and LT strikes out swinging. And you look at this, you start thinking, man, they're going to walk us off. They're going to walk us off. That's how it felt. Bottom of 10. KC really on his game here. We get a ground out to second. We get Tolly, who pinch hit earlier in the ballgame, a strikeout swinging. And then Harris grounds out to short. Headed to the 11th in the final inning here. Hunter Hines strikes out swinging. Good A-B here, just not much to show for it. And then Brad Cumbust. Brad Cumbust. They hang a, sl- a slider, basically center cut. And Brad Cumbust hammered that thing all the way to Taylor Road. Seven to six state. Kellum strikes out swinging, and uh, they have to throw him out. Pretty wild pitch there. And then Davis flies out to center field. So State has the lead, just needing three outs. KC, great job here. And every one of these, I can tell you, done it at Hobie's on Main. Every time a ball left the bat, people are like, oh my gosh, three cans of corn. Chatney flies out to left field to open it. Then Dunhurst flies out the center, and then Justin Bench. Again, no relation to, to the uh, famous all everything catcher Johnny Bench to end the ball game. So State wins the game and the series seven to six. So let's take a quick look back at some of the numbers here and uh, look at this like uh, you know game three. You know that that was the, the rubber game, the decisive game in the series, and so. The thing that I look at when I look at these box scores is like you, you want to see production up and down the orders, you know, of, of the order. You know, it's like uh, Cam James, tough weekend. He's 0 for 6, but his teammates pick him up. Kellum Clark, 0 for 6, but they're the only two Mississippi State starters that didn't have a hit. So you can kind of live with that a little bit because you know, next weekend, you know, you know Kellum and, and, and Cam are going to pick you up, not to mention, you know, a couple big hits earlier in the weekend. But RJ – a tough weekend going into game three has a two for five game. Luke Hancock, you know, kind of steady Eddie there. You know, get, gets a walk and then and gets a hit too. LT with a couple of hits. LT a huge weekend. We talk about guys having needing to step up. That's what you're seeing with LT. 
Hunter Hines, two for six, three ribbies on the ball game, which led the team. Cumbus, two for five. Of course, the big home run there. And then uh, Jess Davis, one for five. But, um, you know, Jess kind of making some things happen. And Forsythe, one for four. I'm a Jess Davis fan. I've said that before. I know sometimes lefties give him trouble. I think the guy's a plus defender. I think the guy's an elite base runner. I think when you go back and look at these numbers sometimes, I think Jess, to me, to me, Jess fits. I know there's some other guys out there that are in contention, that are good ball players. I just think Jess makes us a better team. And so I hope whatever's going on with Jess, that he can keep it going and uh, stay in the lineup. Uh, look at the Ole Miss side of things. You know, they, they have seven hits on the game. We have six. Excuse me, we have 11. They have seven. Uh, they scored six runs on the, the seven hits there. So uh, not a bad day for them. Graham with a couple and then Gonzalez with a couple. But um, let's go down and look at these pitching numbers. You know, it wasn't the best start for Cade Smith. Very competitive start, though. Uh, five and a third innings pitch, four hits, four runs, uh, four errors. And, again, I think we left him in a hit or two long. Four walks, six Ks, 101 pitches for him. And he was clearly tiring there in the sixth. Um, Jackson Fristo, two innings pitch, the one hit, one walk, two Ks. That's a stat line we'd love to see regularly, right? Pico, Pico Khan, uh, one inning pitch, two hits, two runs. And, of course, that's the home run, the tying home run. And you miss a spot. That's what happens. Casey Hunt gets the win, two and two-thirds of an inning, no hits, no runs, no walks, two strikeouts. So perfect outing. And Casey was not his best on Friday. And then comes back with an outstanding effort on Saturday when State had to have him. So great opportunity for the Bulldogs. And, uh, of course, now we're 8-10 and 10 in the SEC. Ole Miss falls to 6-12. and 12. That will matter more later in the show. I'll break that down here in another segment. But State now 24-17. and 17. And Ole Miss 22-17. and 17. You may recall Ole Miss at one time was the number one team in the country. And as we have learned from experience on both ends of this thing, the only poll that counts is the last one. And so, listen, we go number one. Yeah, it's a big deal. But we've been there before many, many times. And now you look at this, and you know, Ole Miss now is uh, tied for next to last in, in the SEC. Now it's in the West. They're dead last in the West. We're two games ahead of them. These are two teams turning in two different directions. Our schedule is beginning to lighten up. Their schedule is beginning to toughen up. I, we, we talked about it last week. There's a real possibility of Ole Miss losing 20 SEC games. Now with 12 losses, when four series left, and two of those being road trips to Arkansas and LSU, that's a real possibility. He said, but Steve. No, there's no but Steve. This is an Ole Miss team that's really struggling. A lot of people have said, well, is this it for Mike Bianco? It's, oh, well, he beat us Thursday. He probably saved his job. I, to be honest with you, I think Ole Miss people want more than that. Oh, they beat Mississippi State. Yeah, there's no way that saves a guy's job. There's just too much angst. There's too much out there. People are just tired. You know, it's like you know, people forget, like towards the end of the Ron Polk era, a lot of our fans like, we just need a change. And as sad as all that was, it was true. We just needed a change. We need to modernize our recruiting, our recruiting approach. And I don't know what's happened to Mike Bianco. I think a lot of it, too, is you go back and look at the great years of Ole Miss baseball, and these are the glory years of Ole Miss baseball. They are. When Dan McDonald left, things begin to change for this team. So I don't know if it's an evaluation thing. I don't know if it's a, it's a recruiting effort thing. Ole Miss still recruits really, really well, according to the rankings, but – that's, that's kind of the double-edged sword is when you go out and you sign these highly rated classes and you don't win, then everybody assumes that it's coaching. In some cases, the guys are overrated. But when you've got 22 years of 
evidence to work with, you begin to say, hey, what's the common denominator here? And I ran some numbers yesterday. If you haven't read it, you should. I wrote an article called The More Things Change, The More They Stay the Same. In uh, 22 years, Mike Bianco has had a SEC series 21 times against Mississippi State. Hadn't won a whole lot of those. When you look at the totality of the schedule, Mike Bianco has had 16 seasons with a non-winning record against Mississippi State. Just in 21 attempts, he has had a winning record against Mississippi State just five times. Woof. I believe the record is 38 and 48 against Mississippi State. So the winningest baseball coach in Ole Miss history is 10 games under 500 against his in-state rival. I guess I'm making the case for him. And I ran the numbers too. You know, we played them regularly since 1904. It's 13 decades. They have had a winning record against us in three of those 10 decades. So 10 out of 13, we've owned the decade. And in the 80s, it was the time we went, you know, that, that, there's a split every now and again. We went 7-2-1 and one against them. We won seven, seven winning records. They had two winning records against us in the decade. I don't want to get too complicated with that. You can find an article yourself. But, you know, Ole Miss is uh, nouveau riche in, in every respect. You know, they're, they're new money. Mississippi State has been the better team in this state basically throughout the history of college baseball. Ole Miss had some decent runs there in the uh, 50s, 60s, and 70s. But uh, since uh, number one got to Mississippi State, Mississippi State by and large has dominated the rivalry, save a few years. They're on the early 2000s before John Cohen got here. And that was, that was the decade we were kind of adrift a little bit. You know, Polk's getting ready to retire. We're having the big, you know, going away party and that sort of stuff. And, you know, our recruiting efforts really struggled. Now we're kind of back in the game a little bit. Now all of a sudden, you know, John Cohen modernized our recruiting approach, laid the foundation for what we're enjoying today. And I don't know, to be honest with you, I don't know if John gets enough credit for that. You know, John bringing in Nick Mingeon, Lane Burroughs, and those guys, Butch Thompson. That staff really changed the trajectory of our program. When you look back in hindsight and you look at how Ole Miss was trending up, we were trending down. It's those four men that came in here and really righted the ship for Mississippi State. And now all of a sudden, you know, we've got a national championship in the, in the greatest baseball stadium in the country, not to mention the best fans. All right, so let's award <laughs> our prime shrimp player of the game, uh, the weekend, really. It's, it's, I think it's an obvious pick. You could go a few different directions, but I think Brad Cumbus deserves to be the prime shrimp player of the weekend, not just because he hit the game-winning home run. He had what he absolutely killed Ole Miss this weekend. And it's good, so good to see. And Brad's such a good guy. You know, and he said in postgame, too, he said, yeah, I, I grew up hating those guys. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, the dream of every Mississippi kid to do something like that. You know, and so outstanding effort from Brad Compass, uh, primeshrimp.com. That, that's your, your number one destination when it comes to looking for quality shrimp. The best thing about Prime Shrimp is not only is it run by Louisianans and people that understand the shrimping business, these are people that are going to do a great job packaging this and getting it directly to your home. It is so well packaged. I mean, it can sit out all day and you don't have to worry about it spoiling on you. Trust me on this. And the thing I love about Prime Shrimp is not having to worry with all the other nonsense like that goes along with shrimp. You want, like, hey, I feel like I've got a craving for some shrimp. And then you start thinking about all the prep you got to do. You got to peel them. You got to devein them. You got to pull the tails off. I mean, there's just so much to it. They do all that for you. They'll send you these little pouches of seasoned shrimp. And there's four great flavors to choose from. You'll be glad you did that. French Quarter Alfredo, probably my current favorite. And then there's the 
simply season that is outstanding. Louisiana Crab Bowl. Uh, check, check Louisiana Shrimp Bowl, excuse me. Uh, be sure and check that out. PrimeShrimp.com and use uh, promo code Boneyard to save yourself a few bucks. And if you don't love it, you get your money back. But I'm, I promise you, you will. It's so easy. You get home, you know, you put on a pot of boiling water, go uh, change into your lounging clothes, kick your shoes off, come back, drop that pouch in there, open it up, dump the shrimp in there. Ten minutes later, boom, we're ready to eat. Outstanding, absolutely outstanding products at PrimeShrimp.com. Be sure and check them out. Promo code Boneyard. All right, now it's time for today's top ten list. Sponsored by your good friend, Blair Chandler. He's my friend. He's your friend. He is a guy that uh, knows the mortgage industry. And it's such a complicated process. And there's so many people out there competing for your business. Go with a mortgage professional. That's what you get with Blair Chandler. 21 years in the industry, coming up on 22. And, and Blair tells me, too, a lot of people are still overextended when it comes to credit card debt. And so they're, they're paying these minimum payments, and they're not making any headway. You think, okay, well, I'll just make the minimum payment this month. Next month, I'll double up. It never happens. It never happens because so many people are living paycheck to paycheck. Get off of that hamster wheel and let Blair use your equity to consolidate that debt down to one payment. And then the interest on the mortgage loan is tax deductible. It's not on your regular credit card debt. So make the smart decision. Refinance your home today. Go to closewithblair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R. And let me give you his number, too. So maybe like, you know, hey, Steve, I'm driving. I'll get it later. I'm going to give you his personal cell number. This is not some office phone. You're not going to be um, not going to be uh, looking at, uh, you know, all this deal where you're going to have to, like, go through all these people to get to Blair. You can go directly to Blair, 601-500-2344, 601-500-2344. And mention to Blair that you heard about him on the boneyard and you get your appraisal paid for for free. He's going to pay for your appraisal. Just mention to him you heard about it on the boneyard, whether it be by text or by phone call or by uh, carrier pigeon, whatever. He's going to take care of that appraisal. It's about a $500 value. All right, so I was reminded over the weekend that I hadn't done this band, and I can't remember who reminded me. I was going to do, you know, it's been so long, and Ole Miss hadn't beat us in a series since 2015. I thought about doing, you know, top rock songs from 2015, but I don't really want to celebrate a year that we got swept. So I wasn't terribly in love with that list anyway, so we're going to do White Lion today. That's right, White Lion. He said, but Steve, a top ten? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't care what anybody says or does. If you were a teenager when White Lion's Pride album hit, you had the album or you had a good friend that did and everybody listened to that album. It was a great album from start to finish. A lot of, uh, a lot of B-sides are what we call deep tracks today. They were outstanding. So White Lion and they, again, the four albums, they had uh, uh, what Fight, Fight to Survive, I guess, was album number one. Pride was number two. Big Game was three. And then Main Attraction was four. So always kind of a little play on words there on the name. Uh, they... Don't tour anymore. Mike Tramp still got out there in tours. Mike Tramp, of course, the singer, originally from Denmark. The band was founded in New York, uh, which is the home of Vito Brado, who was an outstanding guitarist. And Vito Brado, too. They used to call him Vito Van Halen because he was so good at tapping. And so I like the band. Uh, they played in Mississippi extensively. I think we saw them with, uh, with Whitesnake back then. And uh, they toured Mississippi like it seemed like when they were on the Pride Tour, it seemed like we saw them with like everybody that came through. So if you went to shows back then, it's a good chance you saw White Lion in person. 
And they were a band that had outstanding hair, but they weren't like, that's one thing I'll say about the New York guys. It was a little different than the West Coast guys. You know, West Coast guys wore a lot of makeup and that kind of stuff and teased their hair up. Uh, the guys in White Lion, even though Mike Tramp, obviously a very attractive guy, uh, they weren't really like that. They just were kind of long-haired guys, wore leather jackets and, and blue jeans and, you know, tight pants, all that good stuff. But um, so here is your top 10 White Lion list. The long-awaited White Lion list, as I hear. I said, Steve, you've never done these guys. And I said, I'm surprised you knew that. I'm surprised we haven't. So here you go. Number 10, a song with a very, very interesting intro. Uh, it kind of starts out kind of bluesy, and the people are singing along. It's like people at a bar. They're just kind of having a good time. But the name of the song is All You Need Is Rock and Roll. Number 10, the White Lion, number 10 song, All You Need Is Rock and Roll. And number 9, another deeper track, and I thought this should have been a single. I think this is probably the heaviest song in the catalog. And it's off the Big Game album. It's a track called If My Mind Is Evil. And it is uh, very Dokken-esque. Like when you listen to the tone of the guitar, it sounds a lot like George Lynch did back in the day. So number nine, If My Mind Is Evil. Number eight, off the Main Attraction album, it's the song Love Don't Come Easy, which is probably the most successful single off that album. Good song. They ultimately broke up after this album, released a greatest hits album. You can find that on Apple Music and download it to your phone. You'd be glad you did. Got, I guess, what, 10, 11 songs on there. Um, number seven, from the very beginning. And I love the opening guitar riff of uh, Fight to Survive. But I picked one track off that album, and I went with Broken Heart, which, which became a bit of a popular song among white line enthusiasts. Because Pride kind of made us realize, hey, these guys are really good. Then we went back and bought the first album. And this, in my mind, is the shining moment off the first album. It's Broken Heart. There is life after a broken heart. It's, it's, and it's not a ballad. It's one that kind of gets in your face a little bit. Number six, off the Pride album, it's Hungry. And this is another one that I think should have been should have been a, uh, a single. like that one a lot. And number five, we're going to break the rules a little bit here. You know, generally we don't use covers, but White Lion's rendition of Golden Earrings, Radar Love, is phenomenal. I venture to say, and I will die on this hill, White Lion's cover of Radar Love is one of the best covers of all time. It is better than the original. You can say, but Steve, no, no, but Steve, nothing. Radar Love is great. Mike Tramp is a better vocalist. Vito is a better guitarist. They rock this song. Radar Love, number five on the list. Again, breaking the rules because the song is that great. And the guitar solo is just absolutely phenomenal. And then there's a drum solo on there. Like the last two minutes of that song, it's just absolutely impeccable. The video is remarkable too. And that was a big thing back in the day, right? And nowadays, you know, the videos, they do lyric videos and there's all this kind of silliness. But this was like a performance video of them being in some dive bar. Pretty incredible. All right, number four. Our friend Robbie Falk recently had this as his song of the day. Robbie tweets out like a song of the day most days. And he uh, tagged me and said, hey, only Steve R. will get this one. And uh, it's a great track. It was the lead single off the Big Game album, and it's Little Fighter. Rise Again, Little Fighter. One of the things, too, Mike Tramp and those guys were really involved with, with uh, they were activists. I mean, I, I mean, true activists. Not like these social media activists that get outraged about everything. They donated a lot of money, did a lot of charity shows and things like that. Uh, to raise money. The song Little Fighter was kind of part of that. That was uh, part of a campaign to stop uh, child abuse internationally. Uh, so Little Fighter, a great track. Now we're into the final three. 
And I think most people that, that know White Lion would say, you know what, these are the top three songs. Many of you would have my number two song number one. I don't. I have it, I have it number two for a reason. But number three, the song that kind of introduced White Lion to us of the MTV generation was a song called Wait. I Never Got a Chance to Love You. You know, it, it's a great, great song. And I think people thought, you know what, it's, they're kind of pop and radio rock friendly. But these guys are good. They're really good. So Wait is number three on the list. Number two is probably their most famous song. And again, this is a song that was everywhere. I mean, absolutely everywhere. And it, to me, it is a timeless track. It really is. It's a song that still stands up today. So you know, if you're looking for that, uh, you can find it. But it's When the Children Cry, number two. I know people say, oh, Steve, it should be number one. I don't like going out on a ballad at number one. Told you guys that before. But When the Children Cry is an absolute, basically, lullaby uh, about war and peace and things like that. And uh, when I think about what's happening in the world today, it is, uh, it is a song that is very relevant even to today, even though it's uh, over 30 years old. Probably, there are a lot of young people today that probably never heard that song, but you should. When the Children Cry, absolutely outstanding song. Vocally, it's great. I love the guitar solo on it, too. But number one, for me, the second single off the Pride album is a song called Tell Me. Uh, I absolutely love this song. I think that uh, I think it is the best rock song in their catalog, and I love the uh, the harmonies on this. There's just so many things to like about this song. And again, this, this, this is not a list for really metal enthusiasts because these guys, in some respects, were like poison, except they didn't wear makeup and they could play but they, they kind of attracted the same crowd. If you understand what I'm saying, like a lot of people that were into kind of the lighter side of metal, White Lion was a band that people, whether you were a headbanger or not, you kind of respected because of the fact they were so talented. Mike Tramp, a very good vocalist, of course, and uh, I guess James Lorenzo was the uh, drummer at the time. I think that's right. But um, the reality of it is, this is a great band that sold a ton of records, and a lot of people... Uh, really got into this band because I think they felt like, you know what, these guys are a little more serious. There were a lot of guys uh, involved with uh, metal music back then that were just kind of silly. And some of that was really fun. These guys were a little more serious. And uh, the album, Pride, Double Platinum, their second album, Double Platinum, pretty pretty amazing accomplishment even back then. Uh, Big Game, the follow-up, was a gold album as well. But uh, Things kind of begin to fade after that. But um, had a couple big top ten hits. Wait was number eight on the list. And then uh, number three, When the Children Cry. That was uh, those are both big hits for them. And said, well, Steve, you've got Tell Me, number one. I just like it. What can I say? Uh, these guys are an outstanding act. And um, it was yeah, James Lomenzo and then um, Greg D'Angelo. Greg D'Angelo was involved in that. So uh, they still tour. But uh, I guess it's really just kind of the Vito Brada show now. But um, Mike tours on his own. But, um, you know, maybe one day they'll get back together. I would love to see the original lineup if possible. But, uh, yeah, here we go. But uh, toured with a lot of great bands. A lot of you guys have seen them. So I hope you enjoyed the list. If you have an idea for the top ten list, reach out let me know. The best thing is to contact Roy. You can hit me up or you can hit Roy. Roy's at Dogmatic67, that's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7, and the 67 stands for here's the year of birth. Uh, so he reminded me today, he's way ahead in the white lion yet. Yeah, we need to do that. So when I get the messages, I 
forward them on to Roy, and Roy kind of keeps me honest here and kind of keeps me organized. So thankful to Roy and to our friend Izzy Mandelbaum. Izzy uh, occasionally will put his stuff on the on iTunes for us. Sometimes it gets behind and gets caught up, but uh, we appreciate the efforts. Nobody's getting paid to do this, you know, so they just kind of do it because of their love for the show, and I appreciate them very much for that. So that's your top ten list today, White Lion. And it seemed like for a while there in metal, we had all the, we had a lot of white bands. And I don't mean that from a racial point of view. I mean just like the names, you know, White Snake, you know, White Lion, Great White. Every time you turned around, it was White This, White That. And so a lot of that. A lot of that was out there. So, and White Lion, of course, uh, Mike Tramp from Denmark. So interesting development there. But, um, yeah, I think it's a band like that just about anybody can listen to. Maybe it's not quite heavy enough for you, uh, but it is uh, very radio rock friendly. So be sure and check those guys out. White Lion. All right, let's move on. Next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmark. Love Campus Bookmart. Stan and Man now officially retired. Wish Stan the absolute best. But Campus Bookmart, the train rolls on. The lovely, talented Susie, Miss Kathy Brown, and our friend Pam Menyard, everybody kind of taking care of things down there. If you don't know Campus Bookmart, you should. You owe it to yourself. For, for years, for me, it was kind of a hidden gem. Like, I, did, I wasn't familiar with it. It was on the backside of campus, and so I, I didn't go there. Yeah, just, I wasn't aware of it. And there were a lot of people that have said, hey, I never had been to Campus Bookmart, Steve, until they started advertising for you. And now people are like, you know what? Now I know what I've been missing. I can't believe I had so many years I didn't go to Campus Bookmart. And if you can't make it to town, let me encourage you to visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Bondyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. And that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. And uh, while, you know, while you're online shopping, you can buy my books there too. So it's kind of like a one-stop shop. You can get your Mississippi State merch, pick up some books. And uh, they also have the Twig Branch book there too. Like if you've been thinking about getting that, they've got that in stock too. I'd encourage you to maybe, maybe add that to your cart. Add that to your Mississippi State reading collection. Twig Branch. I had a chance to speak to him a while back. Really, really grateful to be able to do that. All right, let's take a look around the SEC as things kind of come into focus, I actually yesterday took the time to follow the rules to see the SEC tournament. And, of course, that's going to change a lot. I just said, you know, where are we right now? All right, so through yesterday's games, here's how this works out. Your number one seed is Tennessee. The number two seed, of course, is your SEC West champion. And at this point, that's Arkansas. The number three team would be Auburn. Auburn and Georgia have identical records at 11-7, and seven, but the tiebreaker is – the highest rated common opponent or the SEC opponent with the highest winning percentage. And so Auburn went to tiebreaker. So that would mean that Tennessee, Arkansas, Auburn, and Georgia get a first round bye on Hoover. And then on the very first day, of course, the knockout phase, which is where we would be. The number five team, thanks in large part to them beating Arkansas yesterday, is Texas A&M. They're actually tied with LSU with a 10-8 and eight record. But A&M beat LSU head-to-head, so they win the head-to-head tiebreaker, which makes LSU your sixth seed. Right behind them at uh, 9-9 is Alabama and Vanderbilt. Well, the two of them, the tiebreaker for them is Tennessee. Alabama won a game against Tennessee. Vandy did not. So Alabama would be your seventh seed. Vanderbilt, your eighth seed. Your number nine seed is your Mississippi State Bulldogs. So if it, as it stands today, 
Mississippi State would play the 4:30 game on day one against Vanderbilt. That's who we'd play, and then game two would be Tennessee. So you got to go over there, hopefully win a game. I would love to play Vanderbilt. It's a shame we're not playing this year on the schedule. But uh, after that, it gets really, really convoluted. Now, the one thing we know, if the tournament started today, Missouri would be out. That's a fact. Missouri would be out. But 5-15, and 15, is that right? 5-13, and 13, excuse me. 5-13 and 13 in the SEC. They're, they're the last place team in the SEC. And then there are four teams for three spots. And they're all 6-12. and 12. Florida, Kentucky, South Carolina, and Ole Miss. Well, you start with the tiebreaker, common opponents. Well, they're not all common opponents. And so then you begin to work through your list of tiebreakers and you get down to, okay, well, how did everybody do against Tennessee? Well, they only got one SEC loss, so you know. Everybody that's played Tennessee is 0-3. Kentucky hadn't played them yet. They will, and I expect Kentucky uh, to get swept. But um, So basically what would happen is some of these teams are going to play other teams who let's say like if Tennessee goes three and zero against Kentucky, well then you go down to the number two seed, which would be Arkansas, and then I don't know if everybody plays Arkansas. So this could actually, because of the fact there are so many teams involved, if they ended in a tie, that it would be a draw, and so we want to be above that. So one of those four teams not going to make the tournament. Could be Ole Miss, could be Kentucky, could be Florida. How embarrassing would that be for Kevin O'Sullivan? I've asked some people in the college baseball world, does Scott Strickland have a decision to make this year? And they say no. They say no. Disappointing your last year, even more disappointing your this year. You know, how long does Kevin O'Sullivan have in Florida? A lot, lot of factors involved there, for sure. So, but as it stands today, your Mississippi State Bulldogs, the number nine seed. We need to win some games this weekend, kind of improve our seeding. I can't see a situation that we get in the top four. I, just, I mean, yeah, mathematically it's possible. It's just not probable. So we're going to be playing on day one in Hoover. And there was a time earlier this year we wondered if we'd even be in Hoover. And that's still a possibility. I mean, we could always lose games, right? I mean, but as it stands today, if the tournament started today, that's where we would be. So let's take a quick look here at uh, the weekend that was, shall we? Uh, I guess before we do, let's look at standings. So, I, I've kind of given you a, a brief overview of that. But yeah, Tennessee seventeen and one in the league, at six games ahead of Georgia, eleven and seven. So obviously Tennessee going to run away and win uh, the SEC East, and, and certainly expect them to win the outright SEC championship. Tennessee too. You, historically, this is the best start in SEC history. Seventeen and one, thirty-seven and three overall. Number one team in the country and absolutely deserve everything they're getting. Sweet Florida over the weekend. Uh, Georgia 11-7, and seven, and Vanderbilt in third place in the East at 9-9. And the people are like, I can't believe Vandy's that far down. Guys, I've told you guys from the beginning of last year that this Vanderbilt team was ex- extremely overrated. Now, in hindsight, we are too, but we've had some injuries to deal with. They're just not as good. Florida now 6-12. and 12. Ooh, Kentucky 6-12. and 12. South Carolina 6-12. and 12. And Missouri five and thirteen. Nobody's surprised to see Kentucky and South Carolina at six and twelve. Maybe we thought they'd be a game or two better, but the fact that Florida is in that mix too, that is very troublesome. And this is a Florida team too that'll be here in a couple weeks. That's a thing you start thinking about. We get the last place team in the East, and we get the next to last place team in the East. Uh, we got to find a way to get fat against those teams. In the SEC West, Arkansas twelve and six. They are now only a game up on Auburn. Auburn 11 and 7. How about that? 
Butch and those guys are built to win last year, and here they are competing for the SEC West Championship. Good for those guys. And you know what? We beat those guys two out of three. So, Butch, go give us some RPI boost, baby. Go get it done. Uh, LSU 10-8, and and m 10-8. and I mentioned the tiebreaker, how A&M wins the head-to-head. Alabama 9-9, Mississippi State now 8-10. and And you look at this and you say, you know what? Hey, we're 8-10, and we're under 500. You go up there and you have a winning weekend this weekend, you got a realistic chance possibly of finishing uh, at 500 in the SEC. I believe Mississippi State's magic number in the SEC is 14. I think we have to get to 14 wins to give ourselves a realistic chance to make the tournament. If we make 15, I think we're in without any question. I think 14 more than likely gets us in. So that's six. You got to pick up six in your final 12. So you got to go 500 in the SEC. And one of those weekends is going to be Tennessee. So we don't have a lot of margin for error. So we got to go play well against Missouri this weekend. We got to go win that series in Missouri. We do. And unfortunately, I won't be there. I got a book signing in Vicksburg uh, this Saturday afternoon at Lorelei Books. I'll give you more details as we get closer. But uh, this Saturday, the one signing this week is at Lorelei Books in Vicksburg. Hadn't signed there in a few years. Looking forward to getting back down there uh, and seeing those folks. So this Saturday afternoon, Lorelei Books there in uh, Vicksburg. As a matter of fact, let me just go ahead and give you the uh, – let me just give you the numbers. How about that? Like, well, Steve, surely you have it. And I do. That is this Saturday from 1 to 3. 1 to 3 in Vicksburg at Lorelei Books this Saturday. And then next a week from Friday, I will be um, I'll be in Yazoo City. So, all right. So there we go. Saturday, April thirtieth, Laurel Eye Books in Vicksburg. All right. So let's take a look at the weekend it was. Uh, we discussed Tennessee swept Florida. I don't know if you guys saw that uh, last play. I mean, Tennessee comes back to win. Florida was in great shape, and then the next thing you know, Tennessee just those guys won't quit. Man, there is just so much fight in that team. They've got a special look about them. They really do. And uh, I go back to the thing, too. There's so many people out there that, you know, the number one seed rarely wins. It's crazy. It's only happened one time. Since we've gone to the new format of the tournament, it's only happened one time. And Miami in 99 was the only number one seed to win a national championship. It's crazy. All right. So we go back and we look. Of course, the, our series started on Thursday, as did LSU-Mizzou. LSU wins 5-3. to three. Uh, We get into uh, – into the Friday schedule, and everybody's playing Vanderbilt. Absolutely shells Kentucky 10 nothing. Tennessee 8-2 winners over Florida. Auburn 6-3 winners over South Carolina. And then Georgia 4-2 winners over Alabama. You know what happened with Mississippi State. And then LSU again, a nip and tuck game with Missouri, 4-3. Uh, and what worries me about that is L- uh, Missouri's ability to pitch because LSU in their own ballpark is very difficult to beat because it's basically a softball field. And if you can keep those guys in the yard, it's uh, awfully interesting. And then uh, A&M, a 2-1 winner against Arkansas. Outstanding effort there. And I thought Arkansas uh, pitched it pretty well most of the weekend. A&M just got the big hit. All right, we get into uh, Saturday, and, of course, that wraps up our series. And, uh, of course, LSU beats Mizzou 8-6. So we take two out of three from Ole Miss. LSU sweeps Missouri. Vanderbilt loses to Kentucky. 3-2, 3-2, to two, setting up a rubber match uh, on Sunday. Arkansas battles back 3-1 against A&M. You see these scores, right? I mean, these Arkansas, you know what kind of offense Arkansas has? But they go to College Station, and, and then, hey, they're not, there's not, not scoring a lot of runs down there. A&M is clearly pitching it pretty well. Uh, Auburn, 8-6 winners over South Carolina. And then Georgia, 
three nothing winners over Alabama. And we know what happened with State. Tennessee, three nothing winners over Florida. So we get into yesterday, and there were still some games up there. Of course, Tennessee gets a sweep. Uh, Vanderbilt takes two of three for Kentucky. They win 5-3. Alabama wins, and so Georgia takes the series, but Alabama does get one victory in the series. And then A&M, 11-10 winners. And that was a crazy game, too. It was like 10-3. And then Arkansas battles back and scores five in the eighth uh, to make it very interesting. They just couldn't get a runner on there in the ninth. And then Auburn, 2 nothing winners over, uh, over South Carolina. So, you know, Auburn playing really well. You know, they came in here. We won them. We talked about what a big series it was for us. We handle business. And then since that time, since they have left Starkville, Mississippi, Auburn hadn't lost a game. They win the Sunday game against us. We had a chance to win it. We blew it. We lose 3-2. They beat Alabama State, Kennesaw State, and then they sweep South Carolina. So if you're Auburn, you're feeling pretty good about life right now. Now, that's going to change, though. (laughs) Because they're about to go to Tennessee. Now, wouldn't it be great maybe like if Auburn got a game from them? We'd get a little RPI boost out of that too. So, interesting times in the Southeastern Conference. Let's take a quick look ahead, though, at, uh, at the Tuesday matchups because we won't be back together between now and then. Let's look at the schedule. You know we're going to be playing Ole Miss. And a lot of discussion about, you know, who we're going to pitch. And uh, I, I suspect it'll be like it was last week. It'll be a Johnny Holstaff day. We'll probably start Jack Walker. Maybe you see Andrew Walling. Uh, Cole Cheatham is a guy obviously that'll be available. Um, and, of course, we've learned, too, that um, Brooks Aug are done for the year. As I shared with you guys, too, if it was good news, we'd already have it. Now, I'm told, and, again, I'm getting this secondhand, so don't quote me, but uh, I, I understand Parker Stinnett may not be similarly afflicted. I don't know that he is going to have a season-ending injury. We just don't know yet. Uh, they're still getting some information. But we're still, you know, we're just kind of waiting to find out here. So he, he may not be season-ending. We're just kind of waiting to see. But um, – Obviously, he was in a dugout this weekend, but uh, not able to pitch. So, Tuesday, again, no, no games on the schedule for today. We don't play baseball on Mondays unless we have to, like in a regional here in the SEC. Of course, we did play Binghamton on the Monday. Had to move that game around. But uh, the Tuesday schedule, Georgia State is at Georgia. Dayton is at Kentucky. Xavier at Tennessee. Auburn is at Jacksonville State. Alabama will visit Sanford. Ole Miss uh, against Mississippi State there in Pearl. Central Arkansas will visit Arkansas. Missouri at Missouri State. That could be interesting. And then LSU is at UNO. Sam Houston at Texas A&M. So only one game, obviously, between uh, Power 5 opponents here, and that being State and Ole Miss. And so it will be awfully interesting to see how Ole Miss comes out in that game. Now, you lose the series, and then there was uh, there was some acrimony in postgame. We all seen it. You know, there was some discussion about some players – uh, traded some barbs and some things were said. Uh, I am perfectly okay with all of that. I know that there are some people that get allergic to that kind of thing. I don't. I, I don't believe we have to hold hands and sing kumbaya and I'll be friends. I, I don't, you know, it's a rivalry. Yeah, but Steve, we'd like a kinder, gentler rivalry. I, to be honest with you, I don't really care what their feelings are. It's my personal opinion. I just want to go win a baseball game. I just want to win. And, uh, you know, it, a loss to them on Tuesday would not be a gut shot by any stretch because we've won the SEC series. But we need every win we can get. We need every RPI point we can get. So we got to go out there and, and play. Now, you know, Ole Miss midweek pitching has kind of been an adventure similar to ours. Uh, they threw McDaniel last weekend. You, you, go, you go back and look at the 
the SEMO ball game last weekend, you know, the pitching got away from. But SEMO is a good mid-major team. They're, they could be a regional wrecker. You know, they're the kind of guys that can go in there, veteran team, just good enough pitching uh, to kind of get after you a little bit. So, uh, but it's been interesting. You know, you look at these, uh, you know, midweek games, too, with, with Ole Miss, and let's run it down real quick here. You know, they uh, you know, they beat Arkansas State earlier this year on a Wednesday game, and then uh, they beat Tuesday, Wednesday games against UL Monroe, but uh, that, that's not saying a whole lot. They postpone the Memphis game. They, they take care of Alcorn State. They get Memphis 11-8. to They did lose to Southern Louisiana on a Tuesday earlier this year. That's a 5-1 loss right there. And then they, they blast North Alabama. They lose to Southern Miss 10-7. And, um, you know, that's the thing you start looking at. It's like, you know, when they play teams they're clearly more talented than, they win. Southern Miss now ranked fourth in the country. How about that? Golden Eagles, go get it done. Uh, good job there for them. But, um, you know, it's been up and down. It's been up and down for those guys. And, and just looking at last week, you know, of course, they threw a bunch of arms over the weekend. And, and you don't – you get a Friday series this weekend, but you don't. You really don't want to have to go throw guys more than an inning. But uh, you know, looking at last week, they, they started McDaniel, and then they threw Nichols, and they threw Riley Maddox, uh, they threw Max. Uh, I think that's Chaffee. I think that's how you pronounce that. They threw Morrell, Kimbrell, Burton, Mallets, Savelle. So it, it'll be a Johnny Holstaff day, I believe. And this is going to be, I think, a wild game. I'll be I'll be surprised if this isn't a high scoring game. I think both teams aren't going to have premium pitching. And I've read some people say, we should throw this guy. We should, guys, we just need to go find a way to go win a ball game here, but without jeopardizing our weekend. The weekend games matter most. That's what we're chasing right now. We're chasing RPI boost, yes, but we're chasing conference wins. And with eight, we got to find a way to get six or more somewhere. So you're not going to go out there and throw somebody this weekend that you're going to depend on. Uh, we'll, we, we may throw some guys out there for any or two, but uh, – if you're going to come to the ball game, and I'll be there, I suspect that you're going to see a pretty wild ball game, and uh, I think the emotions will run high too. I don't think anybody's going to get out there and throw fisticuffs. But uh, yeah, listen, these two teams don't like each other, and it's so funny to hear everybody act like that. Um, you know that, that it should be a certain way. You know, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with how it is. I, I don't think there's any reason it, it, it's been this way longer than you and I have been alive. And so I think that's just kind of how it works. So look forward to seeing you guys down there at Trustmark Park in Pearl. Uh, excited to get down there and see the team play. And we, we, we could really use this win. We don't have to have it. Uh, it would be more beneficial than harmful, obviously, you know, for us to win the ballgame. Uh, but I expect that we'll see Ole Miss come out, especially after you know, a, a very emotional and hotly contested weekend. And, again, you know, give Ole Miss some credit, man. I mean, they, they had every opportunity to lay down two, and they didn't. And um, – very, very competitive series, and so we'll see what happens. That big ballpark at Pearl, you know, maybe Jack Walker starts. You know, maybe Walling pitches. I don't know. You know, we'll see. But, um, you know, the hay is in the barn in many respects, but this is kind of the cherry on top. We we really need to win every one of these games. I told you guys, you know, last week, when you begin to kind of break down the non-conference schedule, heading into last week, we needed to do no, no worse than 3-1 in non-conference. You pick up the win last week. Now you've got Ole Miss this week. You pick up that win this week, and you feel really good about uh, taking care of Sanford and North Alabama and maybe finishing 4-0. So this is the one game that kind of weighed in the balance that you thought you know, State might have the possibility of losing. But it'll be interesting to see how everybody turns out and is ready to compete on Tuesday. I hope that State goes in there with some, um, with some vigor. Let's just say that. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. 
I told you guys before, if I was moving to Starkville now, I would move to Portico. I like the people involved in Portico. I like where it's located. Uh, I love the fact that it's brand new. I think there's just so much that you look at and say, you know what? This is where I want to live. And I have listened. There have been a lot of, I've lived a lot of places. I have. And I love Starkville the most. I do. And it's partly because of all of you. But even if Mississippi State wasn't here, uh, I would want to be here. It's a very friendly place. There are a lot of people who live here that love the place that aren't really sports fans. We are, or you wouldn't be listening to the show. So let me encourage you to give Portico an opportunity to be your next home, whether it be your second home. Maybe you want to have a place up here. Maybe you want to retire here. Maybe you're already kind of thinking about that and say how great it would be to live in Starkville and be able to go to all the ball games, go to women's games, men's games, softball games, baseball. That, that could become your retirement project, right? Just come here and watch Mississippi State play ball every single day. And you can just about do that. And you're just 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. How cool is that? How cool is that? So you don't have to fight traffic. And you're on the opposite side, right? So you can go right on out, get on 82, and boom, take that left on Pat Station Road. And you're home there at Portico. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home and go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. Uh, I would probably downsize a little bit now that these kids are out of the house. But um, maybe your situation is different. Maybe you've got a growing family or you're going to have a lot of people come stay with you on ballgame weekends. You don't want them to have to get a hotel. Give our friend Brooks Bryan a call. I can promise you that guy was really happy about the weekend. Uh, Call Brooks Bryan today to get more information about Portico at 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move. All right, Mississippi State picked up a transfer commitment over the weekend. Uh, You may be unfamiliar, but uh, let me bring you up to speed. How about that? How would that be? How would that be? Let's just talk about some – and we talked about that. We had basically three spots left in the class. And now we have filled uh, one of those. Uh, pretty exciting. We needed to get another defensive back. And so we go out and get former four-star Hunter Washington. And uh, he initially signed with Florida State, uh, hit the transfer portal. And he was, if memory serves me correct, when I looked yesterday, that he was like their special teams player of the year. Uh, we needed to go get a guy. I would, to be honest with you, I would have preferred to be able to get a veteran guy that can play right now, and maybe he can in a reserve role. Uh, but here's the thing, too: you don't get as much value out of your third team receiver. Now you do in a certain respect in this offense, but you do get a lot of value from your second and third team linebackers and defensive backs. Those guys are running down, blowing people up on special teams. So when you get a guy like this, it's already kind of carved out a niche as a special teams guy, and he is a corner. Maybe he transforms into a nickel. We needed to get another DB. We've gotten one. Still a couple spots left to work with. But uh, Hunter Washington took an unofficial visit to state with his parents and decided to go ahead. You know what? This is it. He's 5'11", 188 pounds. Um, you know, pretty impressive defensive back call for Mississippi State when you start – Doing the math here, Jackie Matthews, the guy that was outstanding uh, at West Virginia. And then Marcus Banks, of course, a former four-star that uh, signed on with Alabama. And now you add another four-star in Hunter Washington. You begin to think, too, this is the positive side of the portal. Hunter Washington is a guy that really wouldn't really have considered Mississippi State coming out of high school. He was out of Katy, Texas. Uh, Coach Washington, Darcel McBath, obviously have a lot of connections out there in Texas. Uh, McBath is the guy. I mean, McBath is a guy, you know, he's, he's from Texas, knows a lot of high school coaches out there. Uh, and so I think you, know, you go out a corner here, but also, too, 
we're going to play our best five defensive backs. And so whether that's corner or not, you know, we'll see. Could be, again, I think he could be the dog safety type guy. Uh, Barton Simmons wrote this scouting report when he came out of high school. Less than ideal height and length and frame at the cornerback position, but not prohibitive to play on the perimeter. He has quick feet, has flashed fluidity, loose hips, and sudden change of direction in camp settings. Breaks on the football with intention, return both interceptions for scores as a junior, a good tackler, and physical for a smaller corner. Patient and active on action in front of him. Most of his plays come in off coverage. Limited physical upside from a size speed standpoint. Playmaking ability is lacking on film. Um, most upside appears to be in a slot corner role due to his fluidity and quickness and size limitations and willingness and run support. High floor, low ceiling quarterback, cornerback with power five starter ability and potential to play beyond college. It's very much a mixed bag right there, right? You hear like, well, he, he's not the biggest guy. Doesn't always play the most physical. But in other times he says, well, you know, he is very physical, just not really that fast. And so this is a guy that, again, I think it, you're not going to be able to go out there and get a starter defensive back at this point. And so this may be one of those situations. You go get a developmental guy that maybe ends up being a career too deeper for you. And you need guys like that too. you got to have guys go down there and play. And, again, he committed to Florida State, signed there, uh, you know, put in a year there. And now he's here. And so I think the, the bigger issue here is you start thinking about, okay, you need depth, and maybe you still need another safety out there. But the flip side of it is, is we're getting guys that um, we're getting guys that would not have really looked at us in high school. You know, Makai Polk is a guy, too, that would never have been here otherwise. You know, same thing for Marcus Banks. I mean, these are guys that would not have been really seriously considering Mississippi State, you know, back then. Let me just run down some numbers here for you just so you guys know. When he was coming out of uh, Katy, Texas, guy had 30-plus offers. And, and here are some of the names, just to kind of give you an idea. So, like, obviously some people didn't necessarily agree with Barton Simmons' evaluation. Obviously Florida State didn't. Quickly, let's look at this offer sheet here. So, of course, Florida State, Alabama offered Arizona, Arizona State, Arkansas, Auburn, Colorado, Florida, Houston, Kansas, LSU. We offered at a high school, too. Missouri, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Ole Miss, Penn State, Purdue, uh, TCU, Tennessee, Texas, Texas A&M, Texas Tech, and then he ultimately goes to USC and ultimately goes to Florida State. So, you can say, you know what, maybe his offer sheet doesn't match his film, or perhaps the evaluation was off. But either way, he goes into the portal, and uh, and we got him. And so he'll be immediately eligible to play, so he'll come in and be able to, to compete this year. So, again, not the uh, not the biggest or longest corner, but a guy that can probably come in and perhaps be kind of a squat corner for us. But uh, either way, another spot is now filled. And so now you've got a couple spots to work with. We'd still like to get an offensive tackle. And, again, maybe you go get a safety. We had to get a DB. Maybe you go get a safety. But when you begin to think about you know, this corner position, you think about who we have, uh, you feel really good about the room. But I'm excited to see what happens, uh, you know, the rest of the way. We've still got a couple spots to fill. And that's the thing about recruiting nowadays. It, it never ends. You know, it never ends. And, uh, of course, May 1st is coming up. That's a deadline to get in the portal and be able to be eligible this year. So that will be interesting, too. Uh, the business is going to pick up. Business is going to pick up. So I'm excited about the new commitment. I'm excited to see what happens the rest of the way. Excited to get to Pearl to see Mississippi State uh, play Ole Miss again in baseball. 
All right, that's going to do it for today. And let me remind you guys, too, if you had not done so, go to dogpiletobook.com. You can order books. You can get Dogpile. You can get Flim Flam. You get Alpha Dogs. You get Stark Villains. Of course, the qualities of Alpha Dogs and Stark Villains are dwindling at this point, and we will not reprint those books this year. That, that is 100% not going to happen. The only reprints this year are going to be for Dogpile. And, of course, uh, Blimsville Leander is print on demand, so you can order that through Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, or Books a Million, or buy it at your local bookstore. They can get it for you. If you if you don't if you're kind of allergic to online ordering, your local bookstore can order Bloomsville Leander for you uh, whenever you'd like. And uh, Stark Villains gear always available at StarkVillains.com. But that's gonna do it for today. We'll be back on Wednesday. Hopefully, we're recapping another Mississippi State win over Ole Miss. We, we could really use it. It's not a not a, a must win, but it's one it's it's one we really want to say the least. It'd be a nice win again over a team that's uh, kind of been ahead of us in the RPI. Uh, not to mention the fact it's just in-state bragging rights. But it just so happened, the point they came up on the schedule, we were kind of in a desperate situation. So now you've won back-to-back SEC series, and, and you got pick up a big one on the road, and now you're thinking, okay, is this state team really kind of beginning to get hot? Are we going to be playing our best baseball at the end of the year? Well, indications are yes, but we've got to keep that momentum going. We've got to have another – we've got to be 3-1 and one this week. And, I, and it, we could be 4-0, and oh, it'd be fabulous. But we've got to win that weekend series at Missouri. We've got to be able to get to double digits. Now, all of a sudden, if you win two, at least two this weekend, that gives you 10. you got three series left and trying to get four. So you're going to have to win another series somewhere else. If you could find a way to sweep this weekend, which would be absolutely remarkable, you find a way to sweep this weekend, all of a sudden you can breathe a little bit easier. I just don't expect that to happen. And I know you look at Mizzou and say, hey, they're 5-13, you know, they're, they're a bad team. They're still playing at home. Not to mention, this is a team that really embarrassed us last year. That's a series we should have won. We didn't win. That Sunday game really got away from us. And so we're going to need to go in there and kind of get some revenge. And I don't think Lamontos needs to say anything uh, at all. I think, you know what, let's get on the road. Let's go win a, get, win a series here. If you could find a way to get all three, it would be outstanding. I just don't expect it. I do expect State to win the series, which would be double digits. And, again, kind of keep us in the conversation. We'd have a little more margin for error uh, should we get it. That's it for today, man. We'll see you guys then. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.